Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We are getting further and further in this series, and I'm excited to talk about the gal we're going to talk about today. She is unique. In fact, I'm going to tell you, she is hands down one of the most awesome, powerful, incredible, mind-blowing, God-fearing women you will ever read about. It's an absolute guarantee. You'll see that today. I think you'll appreciate that. And it's interesting, this particular gal has more words dedicated in the Hebrew Bible of what she has spoken than any other woman mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. She's not a matriarch. You would expect maybe Sarah. There's a lot of discourse that's recorded in regard to Abraham's wife. It's not Sarah. It's actually Abigail. And so we're going to talk about Abigail today. And I have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, let me preface today's message. This is one of those messages where you're, you're stuffing a 10-pound bag in a little tiny peg hole. You're trying to because this is a two, three-week message. And I'm going to finish it today, so, you know, have some grace in, in that area. But uh, with that said, let's just get right to it. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 2, this is where we pick the story up. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. So it's about a mile away. It's really close. And the man was very rich. This is going to be central to today's story. It's a significant piece of information. It doesn't say he was well off. It doesn't say, ah, he did okay. It doesn't even say he was rich. It says he was very rich. We're talking the 1% here. We're talking the top of the food chain echelon. This guy is blessed. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now we go on. We read this. The name of the man was Nabal. And we're going to stop here because as you look at his name in the Hebrew, we get a little bit more information. In the Hebrew, we read this, Naval. He's foolish, senseless. That's what his name means. And unfortunately, I'm going to tell you today, this guy is going to live up to his name, unfortunately. As we continue, we get the name of his wife. Name of his wife is Abigail. Now that meaning means my father is joy. That's much better. Than, than a fool, than a man in his folly, amen? And so here you have this introduction of Nabal and Abigail, but it doesn't stop right there. We're now going to be giving their character up front on the story. This is, this is fascinating to me. This is because you don't always get this in Scripture. So we're blessed at this moment. It goes on and says this, And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Now, that might not look like much, but I assure you what the writer did here, how he articulated it, the Hebrew that he's using, there is an, a tremendous amount of information that is being passed here. Tovat Sachel in the Hebrew, and I didn't put it up here, refers to good understanding. Good understanding. That is, it embodies a multitude of things to make that statement. And I'll give you an example. In Psalm 111, we read, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
Okay, and so there's there's a process that the psalmist goes through. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you embrace the fear of God, what is coming next is the beginning of wisdom. You're going to be immersed in wisdom. It's going to happen. You will glean that from the Lord. But then it goes on to say, and and it actually uses the exact same Hebrew we find here, sechel, and a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Okay, do you understand what this woman has and what this writer has just communicated? This woman is immersed in the fear of God. She has the wisdom of God coming forth from her, and she walks in the light of his word. She keeps his commandments. She is, by definition, a radical, on-fire Jesus believer. I mean, this is how you need to look at this woman. Radically on-fire. And then it adds, of course, she's of beautiful appearance. So she's not just beautiful on the outside, it's about the inside. But then we learn about him, and this is what we learn. But the man was harsh, because in Hebrew, he's harsh. In other words, he's stubborn. What do we read in 10 chapters earlier in Samuel? Stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry. As idolatry. This man can't be told anything. He's hard-headed. He won't listen to counsel. He's harsh and he is evil, and that is pure evil, Ra in the Hebrew. Pure evil. He's harsh and evil in his doings. But get this. He's of the house of Caleb. He's of the house of... I mean, this guy comes from premier stock. This is good stock. He comes from a hero of the faith. Now, granted, we're about 400 years apart. But his great, 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 great grandfather, how many greats you want to add... Is Caleb, he was only one of two men that made it into the promised land. He's a hero of the faith, that he stood for truth. This guy is a Jew. He's of the tribe of Yehuda. Good stock. What happened? What happened? Well, we're, we're, unfortunately, we're not told. Was it a situation where Nabal was walking with the Lord? And as we see so many times, we read about the accounts of men falling away. It's possible. That could be the situation. We can only speculate, but what is not speculation is who he is today. Who we're reading about right now. He is pure evil. Now this is problematic. Because you look at Abigail on fire for the God of Israel, has wisdom pouring forth from her. She walks in his commandments. She loves the Lord with all her heart, soul, and strength. And then you have the polar opposite, her husband, Loving evil, loving the world. Now let me ask you gals, does this make for a good marriage? It's what some would call a toxic marriage. I wonder how many times Abigail went to bed crying. I wonder how many times, how much pain and how much suffering and how much anguish and mourning she had over this desire for her husband to rise up and be the spiritual leader in her house. To be able to enjoy the Lord together as a husband and wife. How much anguish has this woman went through? I'm going to tell you, if, if you're a gal here today or you've been watching online, and you're one of those ones that are hurting because... Your husband couldn't be farther away from the Lord. Today's message is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Moving on to verse 4. This is what we read. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, 
David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and listen to this. He says, go to Nabal and greet him by name. Actually, not by name. Greet him in my name. My name. Now, this is important. You catch this. Because David is commissioning his servants to go forth and declare his name to Nabal for Nabal to recognize him, for Nabal to consider him. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to stop right here because today, like the past two messages we've given, we are going to be looking at the practical and literal reality of the story. We're going to be drawing from the benefits of that, but we're also going to be looking at the spiritual overlay. And there's a boatload of prophetic inferences in, in this story. It is incredible. It's over the top. And so uh, before we continue, I, I want you to understand the players, and it's going to be, help you follow me because I'll be bouncing back between the literal practical application and then also the spiritual reality. And so let's look at this. Abigail, in essence, she is a typology of Israel. She is a typology of what we would call the church. She is a typology of what Yeshua and Matthew 25, who sat on his right, the sheep that get into the kingdom of God. She in herself represents righteousness, whereas Nabal is representing the goats, the lawless, the one who follows the lawless one. This is the demonic, this is the evil side of things. And like I said, this, this is a scary marriage. That's a scary marriage when you look at this. But then you keep going, and we got David. Uh, nobody's surprised that the son of David is the typology of David, right? Or vice versa. And then we got David's servants that he's sending forth. Right now, David has sent forth his servants to declare his name. That's interesting because if we do the spiritual overlay, Yeshua sent forth his servants to what? Spread the gospel, declare my name. Oh, and he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is happening right now in our story. David has sent his servants to go and declare his precious name. Now, moving on to verse 6, David's going to give instructions to his men in regard to what they're supposed to say to Nabal. And this is what we read. Now, here we go. We'll get there. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace to you, Peace to your house and peace to all that you have. What is David declaring to Nabal? Blessings. What is in David's heart? What does he want Nabal to have? Peace. He wants him to have shalom. And understand, shalom is a, that's a, that's a loaded word. It just doesn't simply mean a simple one-dimensional, oh, I have peace or I have an emotion in my heart that I feel good. Oh, it's so much deeper than that. It does refer to prosperity. It refers to protection. It does refer to confidence and comfort. It has the, it's, it's, very, it's a deep word. And David wants that for him. Now, it's interesting. You know, when you go to the New Testament, you can see Yeshua as he's talking to his disciples. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. In me, you will have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. 
It's amazing. Here you have the son of David making these statements. And of course, even at his birth, the, the whole host of heaven erupt. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill to men. He is the prince of peace. He is the Sar Shalom. And in Yeshua's heart, this is what he wants. He wants everyone to have his peace. And so we can see David moving here like Yeshua. It's incredible. Then we move to verse 7. Here we go. Now I have heard that you have shears. And so this is David telling Nabal. He's, he's heard about his Nabal's shears. Your shepherds were with us. And we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Okay, so David's saying, listen, Nabal, we have history. Do you know the protection that I have offered you? Do you know what I have done for you? And it's interesting, even when I was reading this, how often we are so thankless and so clueless to the things that Yeshua has blessed us with in our lives. God have mercy. Verse 8, ask your young men, and they will tell you, therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. And this is simply Yom Tov. And in general consensus, this is, you know, we hear the word feast, we get excited, right? Well, Passover, Shavuot, you know. That is not really what's being conveyed here. What is being, this is Yom Tov. This is, this is, this is a time, a festival that Nabal is putting on. And certainly he doesn't give any two thoughts about God, what God's will is, or God's time. Nabal is putting this feast on. Now, listen to this. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. David and his men are famished. They're in need. They're, they're, they're in the brink of starvation. They are hungry. This is real. It is serious. We need help. Help us. Yeshua says something interesting in Luke 14. Yeshua says that when you have a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will have treasure in heaven. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is, this is what Yeshua is telling you. And so I, I bring that up because do you understand what the Lord God of Israel is doing to Nabal right now? He's already richly blessed him. There's nothing that he is in need of. But now somebody comes to him and says, I have a need. Interesting. What did I just quote in Luke 14? God wants him to store treasure up in heaven. Now he's given him an opportunity. You need to start investing in the kingdom of God so that you are rich when it comes time for judgment. This is an amazing offer. This is an opportunity, not a hindrance. Well, we move on to verse 9. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. How does Nabal respond? Well, we read this. The Nabal answered David's servants and said, oh, pay attention. Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. Where have you heard that before? It hasn't been that long. Where have we heard that? Do you remember when God sent his servants, Moses and Aaron, to Pharaoh and said, let my people go? How did he respond? Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? 
that I should obey his voice and let it. You cannot make this stuff up. Now, instead of the Lord sending his servants Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, now David sent his servants to Nabal and he says the exact same thing that Pharaoh said. Exact same response. Who is David? He will not recognize David. That is an incredible revelation. And the end is going to be the same for Nabal as it was for Pharaoh. Their futures do not look good. But now Nabal's going to go on to justify himself. Verse 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water? Let's stop right there. Notice how he says these things. Shall then I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears? He doesn't give God any glory that he's only a steward of what God has given him. No, they're mine. And give it to men. Oh, look at this. To men when I do not know where they are from. Where have you heard that before? Again, you've got to pay attention to what this guy is saying. What is coming out of his mouth? We've seen it before. Interestingly enough, as you go into the Gospel of John in chapter 9, in, in, in the son of David's ministry, as Yeshua is going out, he heals a blind man. The Pharisees are livid. They're, they're accusing him for it. You don't keep the Shabbat. And they keep grilling this blind man. How did he heal you? And he goes, I told you. I told you already and you do not believe. And they come back, and this is no joke, and I'm going to read this. They come back and they said this. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow, as for this Yeshua. Oh, we do not know where he's from. Literally saying the exact same thing that Nabal is saying. We do not know where he's from. And it's, it gets even better all of a sudden when Yeshua's in John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, he's wrestling with these unbelieving Jews that do not believe in him, do not confess his name, will not recognize his name, recognize him for who he is. And guess what? He says, you neither know where I am from, no, nor where I am going. Amazing thought. The exact same thing is being conveyed here. Long story short, Nabal is not going to give David, nor David's servants, anything. Despite all his riches, despite the abundance that God has blessed him with, he's not going to let go, he's not going to consider David, nor his servants, he's, he's done. Yeshua says this in Matthew 5.42, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Don't do it. Paul says this to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Oh, ready to share or ready to give and willing to share. This, this, is, this is supposed to be the commission that Nabal receives but he doesn't do it. I mean, if you look at the Torah, where do you think Paul is getting this from? And what Yeshua is speaking was already established in the Torah. De Deuteronomy what, uh, 15, it says, when you come across the poor, you're to open your hand wide to the poor. To those who are in need, open your hand wide to, to be able to give. 
not to moochers, not to people that don't want to have jobs and work. That's not, that's not what the Torah is talking about. If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. We're talking about people that are hurting. And David's servants are hurting right now. And when you do not follow, this is the essence of Torah, of being able to help someone that needs help. When you don't follow this, then we read this. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. That is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. To know that I want to cry out to the Lord, well, now I'm in need, I, I need help. And even if that man goes to, the, to prayer, the Lord's done. He's not going to hear it. That does not make me feel comfortable. It gets worse when Yeshua says this in Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left hand, the goats, depart from me. I mean, these are the nables. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. David's men are asking for this stuff literally right now. And he's totally rejecting it. And it's interesting when you continue to read in Matthew 25 and, and Yeshua says this to all the goats, the goats respond and saying, when Lord, when did we not give you food? When did we not give you drink? And he says, surely I say to you, as much as you did not do it to the least of my brother, you did not do it to me. The way Nabal has responded to David's servants is the way he is responding specifically to David, a typology of Yeshua. Judges says this in Judges 5.23, Curse morose, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly. Why? Because they did not come to the help of the Lord. You had an opportunity to be blessed, to, to, to gain riches in the kingdom of God, but you did not come to the help of the Lord. Nabal is not coming to the help of the Lord. And we continue in verse 12. This is what we read. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. Mind you, no provisions. They're starving. And they came and told David all these words. After everything we've read so far, how do you think David's going to respond? Well, then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also himself girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. Because of Nabal's response, David is going to unleash hell on Nabal, on the entire house. He's going to level them to the ground. And you got to understand, you know, with the details that we're given in here, he could have as much as around three, maybe 300 plus servants, considering how rich he is. And David's going to level them to the ground. Burning vengeance and judgment has been kindled. We read verse 14. Now, one of the young men told uh, Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. And actually, when you look at this in the Hebrew, uh, you can actually interpret it as he tore them a new one. He screamed at them and rebuked them. He was harsh. A couple things about this. Think about the servant that is speaking right now. Think about what he just said. Number one, the servant knows David's going to unleash hell on everything, and he's petrified. He's totally terrified. It fascinates me 
of what he's choosing for a recourse. See, at that moment, again, granted, you look at historically how things like this go down. Do you know what you do? Whether you're, you're a house of the size of Nabal's, practically a great city on your own, do you know what you do? You go get your neighbors to mount up for war so you can defend yourself against David. They're coming with swords. And what does this servant come and do? He goes to a woman. Think about this for a second. He goes to Abigail. What does that tell you in regard to how Nabal's servants view Abigail? She is a woman that is revered. She is a woman that is honored. She has the utmost respect and she has a history of, you know, literal wisdom coming forth from her. His answer, his antidote to the total vengeance that's going to be unleashed is her. Man, you think about the greatness of this woman. Just right here. And now we're going to be turning a page and she's going to get more involved. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Now, the servant's going to go on to express the goodness that David has shown the servants of Nabal. In verse 15, we read, But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. We were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Interesting. David, through his servants, offered protection. Total protection, total blessing. And this is such the nature of the Lord. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amazing. So he's been shown all this grace by God, all this kindness. Verse 17, he goes on. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against his household. See, the, the, the servant knows hell's coming. All judgment is coming. For he is such a scoundrel that no one can speak to him. Now think about this is the servant of Nabal, and he's speaking to Nabal's wife, Abigail. And he's just coming out and saying, you know him. He is a scoundrel. You can't talk to this guy. Now, you read it in the English, and it's just like, yeah, you get it? That's interesting. You read it in the Hebrew, the guy couldn't employ a more devastating comment against Nabal. In other words, and, and again, you should remember a little bit of Hebrew that we went through recently. When you look at this term, a scoundrel, what is it? Ben Belial. He is the son of Belial, literally the son of the devil. The son of Hasatan. This is what this servant comes and says to Abigail. Well, this is important because, so, so, you know, as we look at our spiritual overlay here and, and the reality of who Nabal represents, the lawless, the sons of darkness who follow the devil, man, this guy is the embodiment of evil. All right? Now look at how she responds. So the messenger brings this message. He tells her what's going on. This is what we read. Then Abigail made haste. She didn't sit back and, well, let me ponder this for a few days. No, she made haste, took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep, already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. 
She doesn't grab a bunch of table scraps and say, hey, let's just pacify him. She literally puts together a feast fit for a king. These guys probably have never eaten what is coming to them right now. She put the best of the best in front of her. It is amazing. She spared no expense. And she moves forward. And then we read this. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Now, a couple things need to be talked about here, lest you find yourself in a a, a very misguided conclusion. Unless you take this to a place you should not. You know, some interpret what Abigail is doing here as completely dishonorable. She's moving in deception, deceitfully, undermining her husband's authority. This is how people view this. I'm going to share with you a little commentary from a scholar, and actually he's a prolific scholar, Bergen. Listen to what he says of this. He says, Abigail's initiative and independence were certainly rare for a married woman in the ancient Near East. Now, here's where it gets good. In this case, it was downright scandalous since it entailed a clandestine meeting with one of her husband's enemies. I show this to you so that you understand, and there's many, many commentaries we could look at that would reflect this type of opinion. It is downright scandalous what she is doing. Please hear me. Please listen to me carefully. What Abigail is doing is not scandalous at all. There's no scandal involved here. Do you understand what she's doing? She is moving to intercede She is becoming, in the time of crisis, she is rising up to be an intercessor. To intercede on behalf of all the men that are going to get killed, but not just that. She's going to save her husband's life. That's what's at stake here. Primary at stake is his life. And she is moving to intercede on his behalf. And again, I tell you, this is one of the most magnificent and righteous women you will ever read about. I mean, it doesn't even make sense, certainly not in the fleshly realm. And furthermore, let me add this, and we'll see this in the story in a little bit. Abigail's not going to keep anything from her husband. Nothing. She's going to tell him all. And with that said, let's get back to our story. And we're going to see Abigail is going to meet with David. In verse 20, so it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Verse 21. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. Right? And then he says, And he has repaid me evil for good. Now, that doesn't work well, and I'll tell you why. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. You want to bring an everlasting curse on your home? Reward someone with evil who has done you good. It is the surest way to curse your home. And this is exactly what Nabal has brought on his head. Moving to verse 22. May God do so, and more also... To the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now, just in case you were wondering whether David's intent here was really to take them all out, 
His intent, he is so committed and resolved in his heart, not one of them are going to be alive by morning. He's not waiting. He's moving in judgment quickly. Now, verse 23. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, get this, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. One of the greatest statements that I've ever read in scripture is right here. This is one where you step back and go, what? What is happening here? She is married to a a, a no good, dirty bum, spiritual bum who is totally evil and wicked in his ways. And we have no idea of all the pain, the suffering, the hurts that have gone in this marriage that she has experienced crying out, wanting him to walk with the Lord, to lead his house, to do good. And then all of a sudden, this guy commits the ultimate evil, rejecting David, not acknowledging him, rejecting the servants. This is what's going on. And so now David's ready to unleash hell, and she goes out to meet David and, and, and to turn him away from all the sins of Nabal. Say, don't look at Nabal. Don't, don't, your vengeance, your wrath, all of it, turn it to me. Now that goes beyond even my understanding of intercession. This is, this is another kind of woman. This is a woman that you, 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 you read about in, in fiction and fairy tales. But this is what she has done. I am in awe. I mean, this is a mother in Israel embodying the heart of the Lord, embodying the heart of Christ. Because I look at this, this is what Yeshua did for all of us. All of us had sin, and he said, I will bear it. I will take it on. This woman has the Lord living in her. She cannot do this with even an ounce of flesh, being controlled by flesh. The only way she can do this is she has mayim, chayim, living water flowing out of her. And all she knows how to do is what God is give life. And she is willing to put her own life at risk for a dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing bum of a husband. That, this is another level, gals. You want to talk about a te- template to emulate? About a woman uh, that you need to be like? This is her. I mean, she's, she's in a league all her own. And, and, and she's doing this, and you look at this, at everything that's going on, and all the fear and the despair that's swirling about, right? I mean, we're in a time of crisis and despair. And see, it's only in those moments do you realize what you're made out of. It's only in those moments how you're going to react. And then we see, oh, that's who you are. That's how you really think. That's how strong you are. That's how weak you are. That's how much faith you have. That's how much faith you don't have. Proverbs 31, verse 10, let's go back to this woman of valor. Who can find a virtuous wife and a shet chayil? For her worth is far above rubies. I want to stop here because this is so important. It blows my mind. Yes, God had blessed Nabal with abundant riches, probably one of the richest men on the face of the earth. Incredible riches. But then he blesses him with a wife. 
a virtuous wife, and her worth was more than all the things that he owned and possessed, material possessions. It was his greatest riches was his wife. That is an amazing thing. And women, that's what you want. You want to be the greatest blessing, the greatest riches in your husband's life, to be that woman of valor. It is true. Oh, and she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. What is she doing right now? She's doing the unthinkable. How many women being in the situation that Abigail is in right now, finding out David is going to unleash hell, would go out and do what she's done? Because it would, it would make sense for a lot of women to go and say, oh, my Lord David, please, I am not with my husband on this uh, at all. I want you to understand that I don't agree with him. Spare my life. Spare my life, Lord. And save her own skin. I'm sorry. There's a lot of women that would do that. That would be at the forefront of her mind, not hers. She doesn't think in the flesh. She doesn't think of herself. She's thinking of interceding on behalf of all the people that are going to die, and including her husband, I can't even wrap my head around it. It's so awesome. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. This is an Ashet Chayil. Verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms again. And this moment of despair where people are fearing. Now, you know, another deal is, is Abigail could have picked up and fled. She could have fled and ran for her life so that and, and hope that, hey, man, ain't, men aren't going to chase down me, so I'll just get out of Dodge. What does she do? She strengthens herself. She strengthens her arms. When so many other women wouldn't even be able to lift their arms in this situation. Not even lift them. Verse 26. She opens her mouth in, with wisdom. You're going to see this in a moment. And on her tongue is the Torah of kindness. She watches over the ways of her, her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She has not committed herself, Abigail does not commit herself to stupid, vain things that are a waste of time. She is constantly building her home. She is constantly praying. She is constantly in the ministry of the word. Abigail has filled and circled her entire life consists of serving God. What verse are we on here? <laughs> you guys can't distract me like that. Okay. Now, as we continue, uh, we're going to see, she is going to literally do what we see here. We're in verse 26. She's going to open her mouth in wisdom. Check this out. And this is why so much, and pay attention, why so much has been dedicated to her in Scripture more than any other woman in the Hebrew Bible. She is coming to bring glory to the Lord and to honor David the king. The king to be prophesied, the king to be. 1 Samuel 25, verse 24, And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. What did the wise woman of Abel do last week? When she presented herself to Joab in a time of crisis, she humbles herself and says, I'm your maidservant. Another wise woman comes on the scene, Abigail, and does the exact same thing to David. She humbles herself and calls herself his maidservant, Wise move. Please let not my Lord regard, oh, 
this scoundrel, Nabal. See, first time, okay, you got to pay attention here. The details are important. The first time, the servant of Nabal calls him a ben all. Now, the English is the same here, and you would expect to see ben all. You don't. Listen to me carefully. She calls him Belial. Just the title. Now, that is going to serve us well as we get to the end. I'm not going to unpack that right now. We will as we get to the end of this. But let's keep going. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Okay? Many things. Like the wise woman of Abel established. Abigail just established, David, I am your maidservant. I am with you. I seek to honor you. I do not call evil good and good evil. I will not do what Isaiah 5.20 said. I am not that person. I will call good good and evil evil. Know this from your maidservant. And no, I do not agree with what happened. It is sinful. It's the essence. It's, it's a breach of Torah. Verse 26. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. In other words, what, what, again, what's the name Nabal mean? Let them be as foolish ones. Anyone that is going to rise up against David or, more importantly, the Mashiach ben David, Yeshua the Messiah, let them be as Nabal. Because a fool's future is not bright. And we go to verse 27. And now, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Now look at this. This is amazing. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Nothing about Nabal in regard to it. Put it all on me, David. I will intercede on behalf of the entire household. I will go forth. One woman. That is amazing. One single woman. See, the eyes of the Lord were combing through the earth looking for someone that he could show himself strong, and he found Abigail to do the unthinkable. The unthinkable. Please forgive the trespass of your maids. This is intercession. This is one of the greatest examples, obviously, of Yeshua. And no one can beat that. But as far as the followers of Yeshua and people that are called to serve God, you will, be, you will struggle to find this kind of intercession happening in Scripture. This is unbelievable. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. And then says, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. A couple of things happen here. Okay, she takes the brunt of it on the front end, but then we get to this, and it's not highlighted. My Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God she serves, is going to make for David an enduring house. What does that tell you about her? What does that tell you about Abigail? She is going with prophets. She believes the prophets. She believes the word of the Lord. She trusts in the word of the Lord that God will bring this to pass. He calls those things there is not as though they are. Now, this is a woman of God. She doesn't even blink. She doesn't hesitate. She trusts in the Lord with her whole heart. She doesn't lean on her own understanding. She's sold out and radical 
for the Most High God. And then she confesses to David. Here's the beauty. So she confesses the glory of God, the truth of his word. And then she confesses, David, you are most honorable. No evil is found in you throughout your days. You are holy. There's a lot of confession in this little statement. Confessing the God of Israel. Confessing the truth of his word and confessing the king of Israel. Again, on the spiritual overlay, I mean... This is what it's about. It's about confessing the Mashiach ben David, the king of Israel. Verse 29, yet a man has risen to pursue you. He's actually had many, right? Saul and his own son Absalom. And so yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. This is another confession that says, you will prevail. David, you will prevail. It's been spoken. I believe it. I don't hesitate. I don't doubt. You know, it talks about in Psalm 116. We believe, therefore we speak. And what she believes, she is speaking. Powerful confession. Verse 30. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then what? Remember your servant. Remember your maid servant. Now, the, the Septuagint actually adds to do good to her. And that is appropriate because, again, this is a loaded, this is a loaded statement. This means so much. You've got to understand, when, when God says he's going to remember someone, what follows? Salvation, deliverance, grace, mercy. Uh, what is it? Genesis 8. It says, and the Lord remembered Noah. What happened? He commanded the curse to start receding from the earth because deliverance is coming. You know, he did this to the children of Israel as they're in Egypt. He comes and, and, and lets them know. He lays out all these promises. You know, we covered this in Sukkot, the seven I wills, right? And right before that, he, he talks about how he is now remembering his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what followed? Yeah, total deliverance, total salvation, that's what happened. We could talk about the time of Abraham, right? Abraham, it says, God remembered Abraham. What happened? Lot was delivered from Sodom. Salvation came. I mean, over and over again, this just keeps playing, this record. So for her to come out and says, remember your maidservant, you have to understand from her perspective, and she's informed. She knows exactly what she's asking for. Deliverance, mercy, blessing, honor. Verse 32, and David said to Abigail, and I love this because what we're going to see here, he's going to go through his own little mini beatitudes, right? He first says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me. The first blessed that David gets out of his mouth, he gives glory to the Lord, but why? Because you sent this woman to me. (laughs) That, That is an amazing thought, women. David, the king, going to be the reigning king and his throne, there will be no end. He is praising the Lord because the Lord sent a righteous, God-fearing woman filled with wisdom to him. 
It's a powerful thought. And then he goes on and says, and blessed is your advice because she has wisdom pouring forth from her mouth. She just gives life. She's like the wise woman of Abel, just pouring forth wisdom. And then he says, blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. You want to talk about blowing your mind. She didn't just intercede on behalf of her husband, rotten good for nothing. She didn't just intercede on behalf of who knows how many hundreds of servants. She interceded for David to keep him back from bloodshed. This is, like I said, you will be hard-pressed to find a more godly, more awesome, more woman that moves in the power of God than Abigail. The impact, the power, the influence this one, one single woman had on the affairs on earth. That is incredible. And, and I, I wonder, women, I, again, you know, what I said last week, I, I'm going to say it again. How long are you going to listen to the lies of the enemy where he comes in and he just tells you, you're just a woman? What are you really going to do? Come on, let's be serious. And, uh, you know, and I love the part where he'll dig up the past because hatred stirs up strife. Hatred will dig up your past and say, look at you. You're not even worthy of the kingdom. Don't think that God's going to move in power to you. Don't think that you're going to make any difference. These ridiculous and idiotic lies that so many of you women are haunted by the guilt, the shame, where you become so insecure you can't move, you have so much fear. That is not God's plan for you. This is. This is God's plan. When you show the faith, when you show the commitment, the dedication, the love for the Lord like Abigail did, you will do things like Abigail did. He's looking for these women right now. I promise you, with all this evil, with everything that is being unleashed, the spirit of Antichrist coming over this earth right now, his eyes are combing to and fro. He needs to show himself strong. And it's up to you whether you want to be that person, whether you want to make history. Abigail made history. In her faith, in her love for the Lord, it is incredible. We need these mothers of Israel. We need them in this community. We need them in this country. We need them all over the world. Moving on, verse 30. Let's go to verse 34. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you. So this is David talking to Abigail. He's going to unleash hell. Unless you had hurried and come to me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. Nothing. I'm not even going to wait till morning. If you did not hurry, one of the most critical characteristics of a true intercessor, they move immediately. Someone calls and says, hey, that someone needs prayer, and it comes across my deal, I just stop. I pray. We go to intercede immediately because you don't know the forces of darkness and what they're going to accomplish and the time they're going to accomplish. You need to pray. You need to pray ASAP and go to war. That's what true intercessor, this is what Abigail, she dealt with the problem immediately, stopped what she was doing. Moving on to verse 35. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him. And he said to her, look at this. Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. 
This one woman, despite her husband being totally evil and literally bringing judgment of God upon his entire house, this one woman went and interceded, and this woman brought peace to her home. Gals, if, if you're in a marriage right now where, and, and there, there are certainly different levels that we could talk about of scoundrels, of nables. Sometimes we, you know what, my husband's a good guy. He treats me well. He just wants nothing to do with the Lord. That's one thing. I mean, he's going to hell and it's painful and it's mournful and you're not, you're unequally yoked. That's not good. And then there's just some that just are not helpful and not kind. I want you to understand something. Whatever your situation is, it doesn't matter because Abigail is the extreme. She has the extreme husband filled with evil. And you got to know, do not let the enemy discourage you and tell you because you are not equally yoked with your husband, your house has no chance to stand. That your house cannot have the peace of the living God brought upon it. Because it's a lie from the pit of hell. Devil is trying to discourage you. He's trying to take you out so that you don't go in faith and in prayer and lay waste to the devil. He wants you to believe you can't have that shalom. One woman can bring entire shalom into an entire house. I want to read to you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Listen to this. He says, A woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. And we can just look at the statement for what it is. We got to buy marriage is holy matrimony before the Lord. It's one of the most sacred things God ever designed to emulate the relationship between the church and Yeshua. This is not to be tampered with. You'll notice, is Abigail divorced in our story? And then the story carried out after? No. She didn't leave him. She's not divorced. That, do you understand the kind of greatness this woman is? And so Paul comes on the scene and says, hey, if your unbelieving husband's willing to leave you, don't divorce him. Okay, but listen to verse 14. This is where we want to get into this. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. What? Do you guys understand, you women? Do you understand the power that you have when you connect with Yeshua? The impact of influence, you can make the difference between heaven and hell in your own house. Your relationship alone with the Lord. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. And interesting, when you go to 2 Timothy, right? You get this introduction in Timothy. And Paul, Timothy is a powerhouse of the faith. And Paul talks about Lois and Eunice, the grandmother and the mother of Timothy. See, Timothy's dad is a Gentile, and... The absence of him in the text, it, it doesn't look good that he's, he's, a, he, he's a believer in the faith or whatsoever. Timothy, Paul accredits who Timothy is in that epistle, all this godliness, all this righteousness to his mother. That's a woman that brought peace into her house. That's a woman that could still rear God-fearing children and be blessed even though both spouses aren't involved. Now, that's not God's plan ultimately, but you women that are in the horrible situations like Abigail, you can do it. 
You need that encouragement. Verse 36, And Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Now I like how the Septuagint puts it, Nabal's heart was pleased within himself. You know, this is like what Yeshua talks about in, in the Gospel of Luke. And he gives this parable of this very rich man who had, who had he's, he's pleased with himself. Oh, I have, I have many goods stored up for many years. I'm going to take my ease and I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. Exactly what Nabal's doing. And then Yeshua responds, fool, do you not know that your soul is going to be required of you this night? And this is exactly, I mean, that, that is, Luke 12 is all about Nabal, about that kind of character. And then it goes on, therefore she told him nothing little, much, or much until morning light. What's the point of talking, talking to a drunken sot? He's not going to remember it, right? So wisdom, again, there's some wisdom. And then verse 37, So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things. She told him everything. She didn't hide anything from him. She was an honorable woman. But then, this is what happens, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. He died inside. What she told him crushed him and he became hardened. That, that's so scary because here was God's grace being poured out one last time on Nabal again through this single woman who's just bringing life to everything, everywhere this woman goes. There's life, there's life. And here she told Nabal and told him, oh hubby of mine, I had to go and intercede. I had to take David all this food. He was coming with 400 men and not one of us would have been alive by morning light. And I had to honor him. And now David has blessed us and he has given us peace. One would think at that point, Nabal would be like, oh, thank you, God, for having mercy on my foolishness, for giving me a wife whose worth is far above rubies, for protecting our household, for being a woman of valor. Even in my stupidity, thank you, Lord, for protecting me from myself. That's not his response. He becomes angry, filled with hatred. This is pure evil. So how's this pan out? Well, verse 38, then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. The Lord himself intervened and took him out. That's what happens to the wicked when you refuse to repent. And he had all these opportunities to be blessed, to be more blessed. This opportunity with his wife coming to him and she was speaking life into him and he rejected it. Verse 39, we're almost there. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head Okay, then we read this. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. Husbands, listen to me. Specifically, you know, and the husbands I really want to talk to are probably not listening to me. Okay. <laughs> but what a valuable lesson for husbands. You want to be a jerk? You want to be a yahoo, as they say? You want to not follow God? You want to not lead your house in righteousness? 
You want to be obstinate and stubborn? You want to be a Ben Belia all? Be careful because God is going to wipe you out and give your wife to your enemy, to give your wife to a man that is better than you. This is why when you read scripture, it's supposed to mean something. It's supposed to rattle you going, you know what, maybe I should love my wife more. Maybe I should love my family more. And most of all, I need to start loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength. This is the kind of guy I need to be. Because know this, if you're not that guy, you're Nabal. And look at how God dealt with him. He gave his wife to another. Now this is where we get into some serious spiritual overlay where we're going to step back and we're going to look at this story that is so mind-blowing. Remember, we have Abigail being represented by the church, by the righteous. You have Nabal being represented by the evil, the sons of Belial all. But what did Abigail call him? She just called him a Belial all. The title for Satan. There's no Ben. This is where that becomes significant because Nabal is very representative of Satan, Abigail, the church, David, Yeshua. And let me pull all this together for you. This is, this is awesome. In Romans 7, 2, we read, For the woman who has a husband bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. And this is why Abigail is going to marry David. Okay, she's released from the law, but look at this. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. Now, you understand, before, earlier on, when, when Paul talks about being dead to the law, he literally means being dead to sin. See, this thing of, this thing of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. I've covered this before. Hopefully, if that's confusing to you, please understand. He is using this in the context of being dead to sin. And that's when the law speaks, is when we are sinners and so when it says this, it's being dead to the law in context of dead to sin. How? Through the body of Christ. Interesting, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And this is exactly what happens in this story. We were all, like Abigail, married to Hasatan. Why we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because the Mashiach ben David came in, and conquered Hasatan, conquered the, the, the whole thing of sin and death, we are now be, being able to marry another like Abigail married David. We can marry the son of the living God. That is an awesome thought to me in, in this whole story. So we're going to end here.